This week, we're talking about Hall of Fame Independent League Baseball. That and much more on this week's episode of the Indie Ball Report Podcast. All right, we're back again. Episode number 154 of the Indie Ball Report Podcast. I'm Nick. He's Will. We're going to be talking about a new manager and then just talking about the Hall of Fame from there on out. So you're going to get like, I'd say easily a solid half hour, if not more, uh, guys who should be in an independent league Hall of Fame. If, if there were. And man, I, I really, I really wish... I really hope there will be one day because it is it is kind of fascinating to think about just doing this and there's there's so many there's so many guys who are deserving. It, it's funny because you want to put like so many guys in, but when you talk about like an initial like ballot, like for example, like a baseball writers, you can only pick ten. So at least for me, I tried to stick to that at least for like an initial class, I think. And of course. There's some guys who are, you know, are about to wrap up their careers. You would think it's at some point within the next few years who would definitely, who would obviously be in, in the Hall of Fame. For example, the, the guys like Lou Ford and Daryl Thompson and San, Santiago Chirino, like those guys who would obviously make the Hall of Fame, but uh, would or obviously just their career is not over yeah. yet. So uh, guys that you could theoretically add to this group, uh, but. I think a lot of good names that I'm excited to break down. And I know uh, the great part is, is Nick and I, although I'm sure there are people we will agree on, we have no idea who the other person is choosing. Oh, absolutely. Definitely. And I mean, it would be cool to just, you know, like some random field in uh, northern New Jersey. They just put up a, a giant indie ball museum. I have no idea if that would even be feasible to do, but it would be pretty cool to see that. And, and you're 100% right, Well, There's a lot of guys, like the guys you mentioned there, that they're still active, still playing, so you can't put them in. But then there's other guys that just recently retired that going off of our, like, they have to be inactive for at least two years rule, uh, guys like Kurt Smith, who is like, well, he's definitely deserving of being in, in an Indie Ball Hall of Fame, but he's not been retired for long enough yet. So there's a lot of guys like that, and uh, it'll be interesting to see who we pick and not just player wise, but also manager wise and to anyone else like, uh, like your administrators, your, uh, your builders and all that. It's going to be very interesting to see how that winds up shaping out. Absolutely. But before we get there, we do have to get to the Northern Colorado Owls and those owls, they hired their new, uh, head coach or I suppose rather manager. And that would be Corey Schneider, a nine-year Major League Baseball veteran, an Olympic silver medalist in 1984. He had some past time with the Orm Owl. So same franchise, just they moved the franchise to a new location because of the stadium. They got a brand new stadium, brand new development complex. You want to hear more about that? Last week's episode with the uh, Pioneer League president, Mike Shapiro, goes into a little bit more detail on that whole new uh, uh, complex over there that the Owls will be playing at. But uh, more to the the hiring itself, he has experience in other leagues, more, uh, I suppose, uh, higher ranking leagues or at least higher paying leagues with the uh, with the CPB and uh, the Mexican Liga. And these was also with the Mariners organization for a little bit back in the early 20 teens. So uh, all in all, a dude that has a lot of experience in baseball, a dude that clearly knows what he's doing and a guy that, uh, you know, is a very uh, interesting hire for Northern Colorado out of the gate. Yeah. This is another example of, of the pioneer league kind of swinging, swinging big, right. With, uh, with some of these names that they're bringing in for managers, of course, Jim Regelman uh, being hired by the Mustangs in the last week. And now Corey Schneider, I mean, Corey Schneider's a, uh, the Corey Schneider's a pretty big name. And, you know, just thinking of the name Corey Schneider also makes me kind of, uh, kind of cringe a little bit uh, as a devil's fan. I hate to say it, <laughs> but, uh, but I mean, this Corey Snyder though, I was actually a good player uh, in, during his time uh, in, in professional sports, of course, just uh, a lot of success in the MLB uh, and in some, of course, some affiliated coaching experience as well. So uh, another big name that, that a pioneer league team was, is able to be, has, was able to bring in, uh, and a guy who knows what it takes to, like to make it in Major League Baseball, and uh, you would, of course, never been a manager before per se, so you don't really know how that'll uh, how how that'll work. 
but I mean, the experience, the resume is certainly there. So I, I think what you can certainly say for for sure at this point is the experience is there, the resume is there, uh, and it, it should be it should be interesting to see that uh, all the ingredients are there for him to be uh, a really good manager. Will he be a really good manager? It, it's hard to say at the moment, but uh, it's considering he's never done it before. Uh, but certainly a, a, a good risk to take uh, if you're the Owls. I agree with that too. Uh, I definitely agree that there's a lot of pieces there. I mean, he clearly has success. He won a, which essentially a Taiwanese World Series with, uh, I believe this is correct, the CTBC brothers of the Chinese Professional Baseball League back in 2017. So he certainly does does have experience as a manager winning. He, like I said, he managed in in the Mexican LMB. So. I don't have any doubts about his managerial abilities. I do also agree that this is certainly a uh, a big get for the Pioneer League. It seems like they're going more and more in the direction of we want to get guys with major league experience to manage our teams. They're definitely trying to get to that point where they're no longer seen as kind of a a league that was affiliated and now so happens to be independent and... Instead, they're trying to more integrate with that, or at least it seems like they're trying to more integrate with those other partner league teams and do so by getting these bigger name hires for, uh, for their clubs. Cause this is now the second one in a row, like we, like you mentioned with Riggleman. So I, I do agree. I think that this is good on that front alone. If for nothing else, just to add more prestige to the league and kind of bring the league up to where I think more traditional independent league fans uh are as far as viewing the league itself i think it definitely helps it in that from that perspective just really just kind of giving the the pioneer league as it's making the transition from an affiliated league uh to an independent league just to to give it that kind of notoriety with a lot of these bigger names behind it and it seems like that's the strategy the pioneer league is trying to um trying to employ who knows maybe they can get some uh some better uh, some some better talent in there as well, uh, specifically on the pitching end of things. And of course, even the Pioneer League, as uh, even when they were an affiliated market, where their balls were flying out of the ballparks, the atmospheres up there are kind of crazy, and uh, the balls really do truly fly. So pitching is always at a premium, and maybe these bigger names can can sort of help with that. So uh, it's going to be very interesting to see. I, I think uh, I like the idea of continuing to bring in these big names. Also continuing to draw fans to the ballparks, I think that'll certainly help as well. So I, I, I like the direction that I see a lot of these Pioneer League teams heading. I'd agree with that. I definitely do on that front. Although I will say with the pitching, I think as far as the pitching issue kind of goes, I think that's just more of a matter of they're getting guys that are just starting their professional careers. So that plus high altitude is just always going to result in a lot of offense. Although I will agree Last year was especially bad when you started having games that were like 22-14. When we started having football scores, now we got issues in baseball. Exactly, yeah. I, I hope those days are kind of over. I, You know, I'm kind of skeptical uh, whether or not uh, those days are over just because the, I, I don't think that the pitching will be as scarce as it was last year. I think it'll start to correct itself, but maybe not all the way back just yet. Uh, so... I don't know. A lot, still a lot to be determined, but it'll it'll be interesting. Certainly, I, I certainly do agree with that. It either way, it's certainly going to be a good hire from the perspective of at least they have kind of a uh, a more name brand type of uh, manager. I guess is one way of putting it. While not mm-hmm. right off the bat acknowledging. The resume is certainly there, and that's going to help bring people in. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how that uh, plays out in the Pioneer League. And it'll be interesting to see if going forward, if they kind of continue this trend of getting these uh, guys with major league experience, whether as a player or as a coach, to come in here. But uh, I guess only time will tell on that front. Mm-hmm. We can kind of now get to the part that everybody really, <laughs> really was waiting for uh, this week, which is the Hall of Fame content. Uh, so as a quick re- recap and refresher going into this, because it has been about uh, two weeks or so now since we first started this whole exercise, uh, the goal here today is just kind of put together what our ballots would look like. Not necessarily the ballots that we're going to go with, but just who we would vote in. 
likewise, our goal is going to be to try and keep it, I think, to a reasonable uh, number of people. And Will mentioned in the preview that, you know, you only get 10 as a you know, baseball Hall of Fame uh, voter. So I, I agree with that. I think we need to keep it lower because if you start putting in like 15, 20 guys, why, yeah, if there's 15, 20 guys that are deserving, and there certainly are because this has never been done before, uh, it does kind of, I think, dilute it a bit. You want to have, I think, a smaller class to merely make it mean something. And when you think of like across the nearly 30-year history of independent league baseball, at least in its modern revitalization, how many of them deserve to be the first ballot, first ever ballot uh, Hall of Famers right. here? It, it really is like already going to a Hall of Fame is an honor among itself. But to be the the pioneer class, um, it uh, it is an even more so of one. So it really, it really is that. So I'm not sure if we want to just do 10 people in total or if we want to say... Let's kind of limit the builders that can go in, limit the managers that can go in, and then limit the players that can go in. Hmm. Um. Because really, for builders, there's probably about four or five names that I could think of uh, off the top of my head. But yeah. I mean, we could. Hmm. What about you? Think maybe like. For some reason, the number two was in like, my head for builder, just because I. Yeah. Feel like it, maybe just two builders, two managers. Uh six players that was about yeah that that seems like a good number i think that's a real good number there because those those are what i had in my head pretty much so we'll run with that um i'm not sure if you want to start with this or if you want me to get going on it i think we start with the the builders though because i have a feeling that we're going to be pretty much in lockstep on those yeah well i'll i'll start with uh i'll start with my first builder and then uh and and then you can get into your next one and then We'll see where we're at from there. Uh, my first, my first builder. Uh, I, I would think that we're probably in lockstep with this one, and that is uh, Bill Lee, the former commissioner of the Frontier League. Uh, he just tra- he transitioned into a commissioner emeritus, uh, but he, he's a guy who's a commissioner for for, so, for decades. Uh, and the Frontier League just totally grew, uh, grew to a sixteen team league under him. Uh, that spanned from the East Coast to, to the Midwest. It really just an, an unbelievable job that he did growing both the Frontier League and Independent League Baseball as a whole and taking from a league like the Frontier League that at least when it started, not a ton of people took seriously. And now the Frontier League is taken very, very seriously. Uh, so, they, they per- so many contracts are purchased from those specific, uh, fr- from the Frontier Leagues and from those teams every single season and a lot of that is because of what what bill lee uh, has done and so he considering he's now he's officially retired from being the commissioner of the frontier league i thought it was uh i thought it was and considering there's no chance of him uh coming back to the be the frontier league commissioner once again i i think it was uh, I think it was appropriate to put him into the uh, first builder for the Indy Bell Hall of Fame. See, he was the one guy that I was like, I want to put him in because he he was he's a great guy. And actually, we interviewed him. I want to go back and take a look at that interview. You go ahead, go to the website under interviews. It should be pretty listed on among the first ones. But there's two other names that I had that I it kind of rose above him a bit. And the first one for me yeah. was Miles Wolf. Mm-hmm. because he naturally revitalized everything. He's the guy who, you know, brought everything back. And how many leagues has he started from the Northern League to the American Association, two leagues that both ran a very long time, or in the case of the American Association, are still running a very long time. Uh, likewise, the Can-Am, owning several teams to keep everything going. The dude has done just about everything you could ask and has essentially made everything in independent league baseball possible. So I I have to put him in, in the first one. And yeah, it's funny. I, I actually, my miles Wolf was my number two. Okay. <laughs> so then you left Frank Bolton off. Well, cause I, I, I did because I didn't view him so much as I, I didn't view him as retired yet. See, I thought we were going with the, uh, with the only the players had to be retired. I thought that's what we discussed two weeks ago. Oh, did we? I know we did for managers. Yeah. I wasn't sure if we were going for for others too. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Then said, Frank Bolton probably should be in there. Yeah. See, that's 
<laughs> but the thing ah. is, at the same time, like, uh, I don't mind going Bill Lee in that spot either. Because yeah. it's like I'm, everything you said, I 100% agree with. And the dude genuinely enjoyed doing it. And he built up so much uh, of the Frontier League and is such a key figure in the Frontier League that, right. uh, and really the whole story of modern independent league baseball where he is either in this year or he's in next year. It really is just a matter of figuring that out right now. Right. It's, it's just like I look at Frank Bolton, I think. How many times did he bail Atlantic League teams ass out? How many times has he bailed the Atlantic League itself out? You know, like, even if you want to just look recently, you know, he helped found High Point, helped found Gastonia, he helped get Hagerstown done. He's helped, you know, how many other teams? He helped keep Nork afloat and probably gave him their best years in quite some time when he was, you know, helping out there. You mean, even we know the Ducks got an offer to go join up with the Mets in the last, you know, jump ship period. And he pretty much said, no, nah, I'm good. I'm happy with where I'm at. Even if financially speaking, it probably made more sense to be affiliated. I kind of believe at some point it's like, well, I kind of helped build this league. So I'm not going to leave now. And more so, I mean, if you lose both Somerset, Sugarland, and Long Island in one sweep, that's a major, major hit to the league. And I almost want to say he didn't do that because he didn't want to do that hit to the league. Now, of course, I don't know that. That's just speculating. But it wouldn't surprise me if that was part of the reason why he didn't do that. And so, like, it's clear that this guy, he's had opportunities, no doubt, in the past to become affiliated. He's obviously had opportunities just to kind of let other teams be on their own. And he's done more and more than his fair share just as a Ducks owner but as you know a part of the league he certainly as a league founder has certainly done above and beyond what would be expected for a lot of teams so that's just kind of why I'm inclined to put him in there but at the same time whichever one gets left off is going in next year so it's it's just one of those kind of positions where it's like well who deserves to be in like the highest of high honors Right, especially especially when we're keeping it to two, and there's yeah. like there's like three guys that are absolutely deserving, and and Miles Wolf, Bill Lee, and and Frank Bolton. But yeah, I mean Fr- Frank Bolton obviously d- has done so much for for indie ball, and and you're right, like because every time that we talk about expansion, and you you even like when you're looking at like the those like town meetings where they're trying to convince a, a town to take on an Atlantic League team, who is there making the presentation, Nick? Every time it's Frank Bolton that's there. Every time it's Frank Bolton. So yeah, Frank Bolton is, is absolutely deserving as well. And uh, just yeah, as far as far as builders, uh, you can't can't really go uh, you can't really go wrong as far as the the initial first two to be inducted into the Indie Ball Hall of Fame. Exactly. So that's where it's going to get a bit tricky on it because I mean, like, like you said, there's just no way you can go wrong. But what kind of is a, uh, a bit funny in a way is almost whoever gets left off isn't even going to be first ballot. I know, and they deserve to. Exactly. That's the thing. Like, there's going to be somewhere down the line that's becomes eligible, and it's like, oh, well, it's a no-brainer. They're definitely deserving to be first ballot, and they're going to be arguably a first ballot that's less deserving than someone that was on their second ballot. Right. You know, so, uh, but I suppose being that it is a ballot that we're putting together, you have to put the, you got to put multiple names in that section to see who can get voted in. You can't just put two there. So, uh, as far as my votes would go, I guess in this particular case, I would probably say, you know, Miles Wolf's a no brainer. He's kind of has to be there. Man, I, it's hard to choose here. It really is. But I'd probably go Frank Bolton. I'd stay with it just because of how much yeah. you know he's done. And the Atlantic League itself, too. It was the first to get the partnership thing done, which, regardless of your thoughts on it, was major. It was a huge turning point. And for how many years was like the Atlantic League known as the premier independent league? And is by far the most popularized by the common person independent league they got the most press they got the most well known so that's what just tips the scale over for me a little bit i think yeah i i'm gonna uh, of course miles wolf i will i'll I'll buy my vote i'll i'm gonna stick it i'm gonna stick with 
with Bill Lee. Not that Frank Bolton uh, isn't deserving, but I, I think that um, just one, I mean, Bill Lee, of course, being a, uh, I think it's a, a little, I mean, of course, Frank Bolton being the founder, Bill Lee being uh, the commissioner of the Frontier League for so long, uh, expanded, really expanded that league. So I, not that Frank Bolton didn't, it's hard to make because like, I don't want to put down Frank Bolton while talking about Bill Lee. And I know that's what you yeah. tend to have to do during Hall of Fame conversations, but uh, I'm going to, I'm going to stick with Bill Lee. Uh, either of course would not be uh, disappointed in the least if Frank Bolton ended up getting a nod. I a hundred percent agreed on that, but is there any other names for this possible, uh, for this possible builder category that we'd want to toss in on a ballot? Cause there's only, really a couple other ones that I could think of on here, which would be a, uh, hold on, let me go back to it because I have it uh, down here. I just want to make sure I'm pronouncing everything right or try to get as close as humanly <laughs> possible to it because at this stage, everyone kind of knows how I pronounce things. Uh, it's it's a, it's a an issue, I must admit. Uh, but Rich Saget Jr., uh, he's an, our senior rather, not junior. Junior still doing things. Senior is the one who was... Uh, owned the Grizzlies from uh, 1999 and from 2003 through 2020, he served as president of the league board of directors in the Frontier League. And he was another one of those guys that was very instrumental in the Can-Am Frontier merger. So I'd also include him as a as an important part, partially because he's been around for most of the Frontier League's history. So, And he's had a large hand to play in that history as well for most of its time in existence. So I'd say that's also worthy of consideration. Um, there's, there's a few other guys, but really as far as the first top of the line ballot, um, I would be, I'd be hard pressed to find others that would be deserving. Maybe, maybe one or both of the Califers too. I think they're worthy of a discussion as well. That would be something too. I'd be interested in looking in that. Uh, possibly uh, a Vec over in St. Paul. That could be something of note as well. Uh, but uh, I'm not sure uh, elsewhere. I'm not sure if you have any other names in addition to what I threw out there. Yeah, I think uh, I think I would probably stick with those names to just throw on a ballot. And obviously, it would be probably difficult for them to get in this year. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but I think next year those are guys that are certainly uh, could could find their way find their way in. Uh, especially with those with the two builders for for next year's and the following years, but uh, yeah, I I think I think those are those are good names to have on just on the ballot. Absolutely, there. So, uh, with that said, we can kind of move on to the managers, coaches, and administrative uh, personnel groups. This is the kind of group that you have your GMs, your team presidents, your managers, your other coaches and trainers, and things like that on the team. Obviously, if you're just kind of a an ancillary coach, you know, first base coach, base running coach, hitting coach, pitching coach, things like that. It's going to be a lot harder for you to make it. A trainer, even it's going to be hard for you to make it. Front office, a little bit easier, especially as a team president, but still not exactly easy. This is really a category for the managers. And then if you're someone that's not picked up as, you know, a league official or a manager or a player, you could also be here. But I think we're both going to be on the same page for the handful of managers that we would include in this category. So um, if you want to get going on it, you can take the lead again, or I can get going, whichever you uh, prefer here, Will. I'll take the lead and give, and give you uh, my, my first one. Right. Uh, he, is a man, he is a manager, uh, a guy who is, is really, I would say, probably the, the, the greatest Atlantic League manager uh, ever to this point. Uh, he managed the Somerset Patriots for 14 seasons, which essentially just gives away who I'm uh, yeah. who I'm about to say. Of course, a guy who won five Atlantic League titles, uh, just a guy who um, who really helped give the Atlantic League some notoriety. He was the manager of the Patriots from their uh, inception into the Atlantic League all the way until 2012. A guy who uh, just was an unbelievable manager, a guy who, who brought in so much talent uh, and really made the Patriots a, a powerhouse uh, in the Atlantic League for for over a decade. So, uh, of course, my my first nomination uh, in the uh, in this category would be Mr. Sparky Lyle. 
he was going to be one of the guys I was going to throw out there as well. Uh, I definitely agree with it. He's definitely deserving of it. He's a large chunk of the reason why Somerset has the fan base they have now. He's a large chunk of the reason why they were one of those teams that, uh, you know, was so well ran. They got, you know, poached essentially from independent league ball. And obviously, if you look at his tenure from a purely baseball perspective too, Somerset was and has traditionally been one of the more successful teams in the Atlantic League. So from both the kind of community aspect of it, which is a portion of anything in indie ball, I'd say even baseball as a whole, is building up that community, especially when you're a new team. He definitely checks all the marks. And then from a baseball perspective, he certainly makes it as well. So I got no qualms with that one uh, there. He was going to be my first as well. So uh, I uh, I suppose now I'll go with my uh, my would have been my second manager there. Greg Taggart was going to be a guy that I definitely wanted to make note of. He was one of the guys that was suggested. We went through his whole accolades. I believe it was last week, actually. So we don't really need to rehash them all here. But a dude that has over 1,200 wins. He's managed so many games. He's been essentially an indie ball lifer from the very beginning through the 2021 season. And by all measures, he he checks every box of what you'd like to see in a Hall of Fame manager. There's other guys I have, which I'll toss on after you name your second guy, Will. But for me, Greg Taggart was, was my guy that I was going to go with in addition to Sparky Lyle. How about that? Greg Taggart was my number two guy as well. <laughs> How about that? Yeah, I was a Greg Taggart. This, I mean, 17 seasons with Gary. And I will say, I mean, having a winning season in all but in 14 of 17 seasons is really really difficult especially in a league like the, like the frontier league where there's so much there's so many uh well, northern league and american are, association not to yes not sure yes yeah uh and it, of course really in any independent league where there's just so many pieces that interchange throughout the year it really puts a strain on a manager uh and i mean greg tiger just did it effortless effortlessly he was a uh, he's just a great great manager and yeah, he was my he was my number two guy to go along with Sparky Lyle in this category especially two managers that uh, that helped build so many good teams uh, in in indie ball so yeah Sparky Lyle and Greg Tiger were were going to be my two votes. Mm-hmm. I think for other guys just to kind of toss onto the uh, onto the ballot as well because like we said in the last group you need more than just two guys on a ballot but only two guys can kind of go in. I, I would say a Kevin Baez is also worthy of discussion. Obviously, a manager with the Ducks for some time. I think he's a, a guy of note. A George Samus is another guy of note. Maybe a, a Calfa Pietra as well. Uh, those are all guys that have very long tenures of winning, very long successful tenures, uh, in some cases with multiple clubs in different leagues. So certainly, I think they, they warrant a conversation. Probably not the first ballot of you know, the first ever ballot, but in a different circumstance, I think guys, especially like Alpha Pietra, uh, certainly are worthy of being a first ballot. Even a Pete Incoglia, I gotta be honest, they, he has a very successful tenure just about wherever he goes I and mean, just about whatever league he goes to. I think he's another guy that serves a conversation as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's, there's a lot, uh, there's a lot of names here that you could, that you could go with a guy like Sam, uh, George Samus is a guy I also considered, uh, as well. Uh, but just, I, I think guys that are, I think it's, it's tough to beat Sparky Law and Greg Taggart. Of course, this ballot specifically is by far, you know, it, it's, it's, of course, it's the hardest ballot to get in because everyone's eligible, right? Yeah. Uh, and you're, you're picking from, you're picking from not so much guys that are from your era, literally just all eras of any ball. So it, it's really difficult. And those are some great, uh, good names there with the Kevin Baez's and the Samus's and, uh, of course, Pete and Cavillia, I, I think he's still writing his his case a little bit too as well. Yeah. Uh, given see what he does uh, in the Frontier League in year two and three and uh, and whatnot, but he certainly made his presence known and in, in Sugarland building a powerhouse team down there. But uh, I think those are those are guys you could. Th- I think guys like Samus and uh, and Baez and uh, and Calfa Pietra, Calfa Pietra. I think you mm. you could throw those guys on the ballot as well. Yeah, absolutely. This so. Uh... On that note, I think we, we covered those first two groupings. Now we can kind of go to the, the area where I think we're going to draw the most interest from, which is certainly the players grouping. I'm still kind of putting together a, a couple other guys. I got 
three or four guys that are no doubters in my mind that are going to be on here. Uh, I'm sure you got guys too, Will. And so we'll just keep the, the trend here. I'll let you uh, go first here, especially because, I mean, I've already talked a decent little bit. So I'll, uh, yeah. I'll let you get going. All right, so why don't I start with uh, – I'll go with two, then I'll throw to you for, for, for two of yours, and you can that, do it that way. That works perfectly good for me. All right, number my first player, a guy that I, I've mentioned, I believe, a couple episodes ago when we first introduced this and saying, like, I love this guy. I think he, he's going to be he's going to be on my first ballot Indy Ball Hall of Fame. So naturally, I have to stick with it, and that is of course John Brownell, uh, who has finished uh, his last season pitching was in 2019. Therefore, he fits that two year mark. Uh, he's pitched 13 seasons in Indy Ball. I mean, 13 seasons in Indy Ball, and of course, that was in the Frontier League, the Northern League, the Atlantic League, the American Association. I mean, John Brownell has, has been everywhere. Right. He has been, he's been to all the leagues. Uh, guys won 124 games in Indy Ball, an ERA of 3.77 uh, through that long of a, uh, for that long of a stretch is really impressive. Second all time in Atlantic League history uh, in strikeouts. He was the strikeout king for a for, for a lot of years, actually, for quite a few years, actually, until Mr. Daryl Thompson, who will be a first ballot Hall of Famer in his own right when he decides to hang up the spikes, uh, but until he passed him in that category, but John Brunell and most notably uh, for the Atlantic league, a great pitcher for the ducks for a while. Also some time with a, a, a stint with the high point rockers. Also, um, I mean, I think John Brownell to me uh, is a pretty easy uh, indie ball hall of famer in, in my, in my view. And my second, second guy that I'll, I'll throw it in before I toss it back to you. That's of course Jeff Nettles. Uh, nine seasons in Somerset. He's second uh, second all time in home runs in the Atlantic League. He's also the RBI king. Something that should be mentioned as well. Um, a guy that's been uh, that guy that was really really good in Somerset for nearly a decade. One of one of the staples of that franchise. A guy who's a, a 285 hitter uh, with, with 154 home runs in those nine seasons. A guy who got on base at a 360 clip over that long of a stretch is is really impressive. So uh, Jeff Nettles would be my my number two guy to throw in here along with John Brownell. I can't disagree with either of them. Brownell uh, certainly is one of the better <laughs> pitchers to ever be in the Atlantic League and probably Indie Ball as a whole. Uh, and likewise, I, I'm not going to disagree with Nettles either. He's going to be one of the guys I was going to toss out there because he's one of those one of the first guys that when you think of independent league baseball, at least from the Atlantic League perspective, you think of Nettles. He's been kind of like there forever and a day. So uh, for me... Uh, the, the first two guys that I want to throw in here, uh, it, first one's going to be from mainly the American Association, uh, spent over 800 games in the American Association. He is their uh, all-time hits leader, their all-time runs leader, and holds many, many other accolades. Uh, that is, of course, uh, Reggie Abercrombie. He, the dude played so many years, uh, first started off with four years in Sioux Falls, then went to another five years in uh, in Winnipeg, and of course had a season where he split up between uh, all three leagues, actually. He had a, a little bit of a stint in Sussex County and Southern Maryland as well. Uh, the, the guy overall is just uh, an X-level type of batter. He has over 150 home runs. Uh, it's He seemingly never really hit under 300. I mean, even when he did, he was still batting above 280 with the exception of one year in particular or two years in particular, his last season and then also the 2017 season as well. But uh, the guy was consistent. He played a lot of games. He came together and was a was a solid all-around player. And I think he is definitely worthy of this uh, honor there, uh, certainly. And then we switch over to uh, another Atlantic leaguer, uh, and that would be uh, Bryant Nelson, uh, another guy over a thousand games in independent league baseball, uh, 277 lifetime hitter, 88 home runs, a guy that just is always kind of there. He's ranking up in the top of Atlantic league standings. Uh, I'm not sure if he still holds uh, some of these records because obviously, you know, 
the Atlantic League has a vendetta against updating the record book. But well, as of 2018, he did, Nick, and that's the most important thing. That's a very important note. That's very important. I mean, most games played in the Atlantic League's history as of 2018 and as of 2018, most at-bats, as you could tell. So this is one of those ones where, sure, the overall counting stats may not be there. I'll openly admit that, but at the same time, longevity does matter. And to play over a thousand games in independent league baseball, I think that counts for something, especially when you're still a very productive player while you're doing that, you know? So uh, that that's why I went with Nelson on this one. Uh, while, yeah, I don't think he ever had a, a really, truly breakout season, a really fantastic year. You may argue 2010 in uh, Lancaster, 22 home runs, 91 RBIs, and a 288 batting average. Uh, you could argue that, or possibly uh, 2013, that would be another one you could argue, but all in all, uh, I do think he is deserving of recognition here. Yeah, Nelson's an interesting case because uh, it is that argument of longevity uh, over, you know, a lot of, like, and he was a good player, but I mean, the numbers aren't eye-popping. Of course, he, he is more of a contact guy. I mean, you look at the numbers, he, uh, he, he uh, actually wrote down that he walked more than he struck out in his time in Indy Ball, which, I mean, over 11 seasons is a wild number. Yeah. Uh, can, can you imagine that today? Oh, God. That would, that would be almost more impressive than any sort of home run number you could reach. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, he played till age 42. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, in Indy Ball. So, talk about a guy that, that loves the game. I considered Bryant Nelson. I left him off uh, because although I agree that longevity matters, I decided to keep him off as far as the first ballot, just because the, the, the eye popping numbers weren't there. I, I, although I, I think it's a, it was a narrow miss for me, a guy that I would probably put in next season uh, as well. Uh, but I, I decided to leave Bryant Nelson just off mine. Reggie, Reggie Abercrombie, I did have on in mine as well. You, you said it all about him. He, he's an absolute stud. I thought that was a, a, a pretty easy decision uh, as well. So hmm. um, so now next one for me, uh, uh, another Atlantic leaguer, uh, I think is a pretty, a pretty easy one, a staple in Long Island Ducks history. Nine seasons in the Atlantic League. Of course, it's eight with the Ducks. Uh, third all-time in home runs with 143. A guy in those nine seasons in the Atlantic League is a 285 hitter. A guy got on base at a, at a 365 clip, nearly slugged almost 500 in those seasons. Of course, I'm talking about Ray Navarrete. Uh, he's a probably the greatest Long Island Duck uh, ever. And uh, just like longevity and the, just what he meant to that organization. So uh, Ray Navarrete is still a guy that, 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 that'll pop around uh, to, to the Ducks pond every once in a while. So uh, Ray Navarrete is a guy that I think should definitely be a Hall of Famer. I put him in uh, as uh, I decided to put him in as well. And for my uh, second guy, before I throw it back to you, I'm gonna go, let's go over to the Frontier League, shall we? And that's, right. uh, that's to, uh, to, I'm going to go with Charlie Lisk. Guys, both an infielder and a catcher, uh, so it, you don't really see that too often much, uh, too often anymore, do you? No, an infielder and a catcher, yeah, no, you don't see that. Uh, however, Frontier League home run and RBI king played seven seasons uh, in the Frontier League, uh, and with an 872 OPS overall, they hit 127 home runs, uh, drove in 442 in those seven seasons. Uh, I think, uh, especially with some frontier league representation, and you you don't see the longevity in the frontier league that you say that you would see potentially in an American Association or an Atlantic League, which makes this a little bit harder for guy for frontier league players. Uh, but I think a guy like Charlie List, especially in the first ballot, I think it makes it a little tougher for frontier league guys. However, yeah. I think Charlie List. Uh, qualifies as such. I, he is uh, he is goes on my first ballot. So guys, I'd like to add Ray Navarrete and Charlie Lisk. Hundred percent on Navarrete. He was going to be a guy that I was going to mention uh, next round. So I definitely agree with Navarrete. Uh, Lisk. I I don't even remember hearing about this guy. So when you describe him, he definitely yeah. does sound it. Especially because I and I'm not even sure if this should count as points, but having little odd oddities in someone's game, I feel like makes it even more independent league baseball based because you've got to yeah. be this kind of like jack of all trades especially if you want to hang around for a while because you have to be like good enough to where you weren't 
being on a roster consistently, but not too good because then you'll wind up going to affiliated ball. And part of the way you do that is by being a catcher infielder hybrid. So I, I agree with both of them. I think they both definitely are deserving of those honors. So, uh, as for me, the next two I have, uh, and again from the American Association, I start off with, uh, Josh Mazzola. He's a guy that, again, he was in Winnipeg for a while. Uh, then he had a couple of years in Fargo-Moorhead, went to Lincoln. He spent actually two or parts of two seasons in the Atlantic League. Six games with Somerset, 16 with High Point. At the end of the day, he played over 700 games. He had over 133 uh, home runs. I'll admit the batting numbers probably aren't as great. But at the end of the day, I feel like, again, he ranks highly on the all-time lists for the American Association. I think he is worthy of a discussion. I will admit, getting him in on the first uh, go-around, maybe that's a bit of a stretch, but when you're second all-time in home runs in the history of the uh, American Association, I think that definitely is something that you have to consider, especially when you're also second all-time in doubles, fourth all-time in just runs in general, and then fourth all-time in hits. So he's a guy that's been around for a while. He certainly does it all, and I think has does enough to justify being in on this ballot here. Uh, we switch over, though, to the... Also, the American Association of Sense, but also the Can-Am League, too, with the next pick. And that would be Richard Salazar, a guy who spent a couple years in Wichita, a handful of years in Sioux City, some years in Shreveport, and then kind of finished his years with the Rockland Boulders of the Can-Am League. And I understand four years with Rockland's going to, you know, maybe be a bit of a drawback because it is the Can-Am League. There is a drop-off in competition there, so the numbers are going to look better. But he's also one of the kind of key pieces of the uh, of the Rockland franchise. The franchise has done very well and is a very successful uh, franchise as a whole. Uh, he's, he was good for about 20 starts a year, 19 or 20 starts a year, when he started becoming a starting pitcher in 2010. Up until then, he was kind of more or less a, a bullpen guy. So that's kind of contributes to why the numbers weren't as great. But he was an effective pitcher, wasn't really a strikeout guy, at least not for a while. And he pitched over a thousand innings in independent league baseball. He pitched till he was 35. All in all, I think there's a case to be made here for Richard Salazar. Uh, those are both great names. I love I love Mazzola. Yeah. Uh, I think that's that's a gr- that's a great pick. I don't know if I would put him in uh, this ballot, but mm-hmm. I think Mazzola is a really good name. It's funny because. Uh, uh, because he, he has done so much in the American Association as well, uh, and yeah, the, both Salazar and and uh, and Mazzola both really both really good names uh, as well. I uh, I think now since uh, we five names on my ballot have been revealed, I only have uh, one more to go. Mm. Um, now th- I was deciding between. Uh, these two guys uh, for my for my last spot. Uh, they're, they're both Atlantic Leaguers, and it's really difficult for me. Uh, I'm gonna see. I, I I was debating this until like literally right up to the show. I'm gonna go with uh, a member of the Nashua Pride. Oh, and that and oh, that gosh. is gonna be Glenn Murray. Glenn Murray. The, he is the current Atlantic League home run king, although I, I, I will make the joke of as of 2018, even though he still is the Atlantic League home run king. I just want to bring up as of 2018 because officially, because the Atlantic yeah. League doesn't update anything. Uh, but he is the Atlantic League uh, home run king uh, with Nashua. He's, he, can, it's hard. He hit 270, but a guy who was a feared hitter during his time uh, in the in the Atlantic League, a guy who slugged 504 during his time uh, with, with Nashua, a guy who's just a feared power home run hitter, um, and a guy who, who who walked a ton. Pitchers would literally just pitch around him uh, during his time in the Atlantic League. Uh, one of the one of the one of the all time greats. Uh, I decided to go with him for my 
final spot and uh the guy who i just left off nick yeah john hunton just left them off see i imagine as a patriot fan that really is a is like a Uh, knife yeah it 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 was it was tough but i'm like i can't leave off the home run king on the first ballot that's what i was thinking Uh, well you're right that it's hard to leave off a guy like that I'll say this much. I think I went a little too much on the batters. I think I, I do need to put in at least one other pitcher, and I'm going to go with the guy that is pretty much a Can-Am guy. He is an, a New Jersey Jackal legend, really, a, a great of it, and I think a lot of people already kind of know where I'm going towards here, and that is, of course, going to be uh, Isaac Pavlik, New Jersey's own Belleville native. Uh, he's He's Mr. New Jersey as far as independent league baseball goes. Started pitching in indie ball at age 24 back in 2004 and only finished in 2017, really. I mean, he made one start and, or two starts, my mistake, in 2019 for Quebec, but I mean, that's you know, deep through less than six innings, so I'm not even really looking at that. But 13 years he spent playing indie ball. Uh, of those 13, 12 of them were in New Jersey. A dude that has his number retired by the Jackals and has put together a career ERA of three or yes, 364, 101 wins. I understand wins aren't a great staff for pitchers, but just go with it. Uh, and he, he threw over 1,300 innings. He's only he allowed under 100 home runs across all those innings. So he, he's a hell of a pitcher there, over 1,000 strikeouts. And somehow in his career, he only threw seven intentional walks. And he hasn't thrown one since 2015. That was the last time. And he only threw multiple intentional walks twice in a season. So for whatever that's worth, that's uh, that's something of note there. And all in all, you look at all his numbers, it they're very, very good numbers. And he's a guy that pretty much anyone that grew up in the greater Essex County area that went to a Jackal game, he was a guy that you knew was going to be on the team for quite some time. And it wasn't just like he was only used as a starter, although granted, a lot of the time he was a starter. 2015, he came out of the bullpen a decent bit. Uh, he started off kind of coming out of the bullpen as well. It's from 04 to, uh, to 07, he was a bullpen guy. So you then transitioned to being a starter and being a really effective type of guy. And so I think you, it's hard to tell the story of, of the Can-Am League itself without including Isaac Pavlik's name in there. So he is certainly one of my guys. And then the other guy I'm going with is uh, admittedly a bit of a shorter career, but still over that well over our our threshold for games played, nearly 800 games played. Uh, Not too many home runs, but a lot of RBIs and stolen bases as well. This is David Espinosa from the uh, American Association as well. Uh, He spent a lot of seasons where he's with two or more teams. Uh, He only really had one year where he was with one team the whole way, and that was Lincoln. But he always managed to play a lot of games. He always was Actually, it was over 100 games played in one, two, three, four, five seasons. In fact, playing 124 games in one year as well. He he put up a lot of numbers where it was a uh, where he was worthy of being a Hall of Fame guy. He was normally batting over 300. I mean, hell, this one season in 2010, in 109 games, he batted 350. That is in and of itself a crazy stat. And then he kind of backs it up by going 321 the following year in. Uh, in 08, he they won the more full years before that. He was a 306 hitter, a 308 hitter. He was around for a good little bit, but all in all, I do think uh, he is worthy of the Hall of Fame, even if you know he only has from 08 to 2015 in there. Yeah, both both great names. I was waiting for you to to bring up um, for to bring up Isaac's name because mm-hmm. I was like. I was like, there's no way Nick is not going to bring him up uh, because being the uh, being the Essex County. And you, yeah. you even mentioned it in your explanation, in your explanation that uh, you grew up in the in that Essex County area. You know how much he meant to, to the Jackals and the surrounding community. Uh, and you know, he was obviously a great pitcher in his own right. So no complaints there. But I'll tell you what, Nick, I think we have uh, some really good. I think we have a really uh, good and deep ballot here. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with that. It, see, what's hard is there's a lot of guys there that you could throw on there. Because you mentioned earlier no. that there this is the toughest one because there's so many choices. At least like when yeah. you start getting on year four, year five, year six, 
there's enough people that have already kind of been put in where it's like, okay, we can start weeding through it and we have a, a baseline to go off of like, okay, if we're putting these guys in, then you need to kind of be up there. Right now, you're setting the tone, so there is a bit of a, even more, of, I don't want to say there's pressure, because there really isn't much pressure here, but there is kind of uh, a weight knowing that you're setting the standard. Yeah, no, exactly, and that's the, that is the toughest part, because there is no standard yet. Uh, that, that's always the, that's always the toughest part, but, uh, so what, what's the, what's the end game here, Nick? What is it? Uh, we got a ballot for the, uh, for the, for the fans to vote on. We got a, do we have a threshold that we set for yet that they have to get like X amount of, um, uh, let me go, let me go ahead here. Cause I do have a, a whole little document that I typed up. I think I'm referenced it two weeks ago, uh, that I did up during, uh, during my quarantine, because I don't want to actually work on things I should. I put down 70%. I've said 70% would be a fair number to reach. Because then you're clear, you're above two-thirds of the people thinking you're in. You're nearly at three-quarters of the people thinking you're in. I feel like that's a pretty fair number. Yeah, All I right. agree. Yep. And then what I had was because i had this whole complicated system here where you try to get other people to vote in and this whole big thing here but what the part that i think we do need to keep from it is if you fail to reach a certain percentage you fall off all right the very least as i know point, do that on the normal mlb ballot that's five percent so yeah. you want to roll with that we could roll with five percent because what i originally had was i had two different ballots here where you'd vote First is a, pre a preliminary ballot. This is where you just throw everybody on there. Everyone that you could conceivably put on there gets put on there. And then uh, the top vote getters from that, like say the top uh, 25, would then advance to the actual ballot. And then you'd vote from there. And then whoever got to 70 would be in. Anyone that failed to even reach 30 would go back to the preliminary ballot. They wouldn't stay on the main ballot. Uh, so as far as the preliminary one i'm probably going to just wind up saying yes to five because i think that's a pretty decent number but i just want to see if i if i had anyone that falls off the other one yeah i never had a uh for the kind of preliminary ballot i never had a threshold for falling off but yeah i'll go with five for the one that matters yeah, yeah being that we're we're doing it this way for at least the time being i'll go with five percent for that so okay. um that being said before we do move on uh, to kind of wrapping up this week's episode. And we do have a little bit of time here. We're only at about 53 or so minutes. Uh, so we do have uh, a couple of minutes here to get on it. Is there any other names that you think we need to toss on here? Because obviously we both threw out uh, six names or so, and uh, that gives you to 12, and we kind of capped it at six. I'm just wondering if we should throw maybe a handful of other names on there just to give options uh, for people as well, because it's going to be a very simple checklist type thing. Off the top of my head, guys that I was just that like I considered, but I'm I'm just gonna say guys I could like consider like Josh Presley maybe. Okay. I uh, I also had Billy Hall on there, although I, yeah. I kind of put him in the yeah. kind of grouping of like I don't know, maybe maybe not. Uh, kind of a tweener guy. A Jimmy Hurst was a guy that I was like he's good, but I'm not sure if he's first ballot good. Um, uh, what about uh, uh what about what about uh oh why am i completely blank sussex manager bobby jones bobby's close i feel like you think it's worth throwing on the ballot as a manager see why normally i would say yes i also know we have a lot of sussex county fans that are going to vote for him and <laughs> it's like i it's like i understand this is in a way rigging a ballot but at the same time it's like i don't think he deserves to be in over any of the other names we put in there and like True. good point like here's what i just come down to is bobby jones a better manager than a guy that had significantly more winning seasons than he did losing seasons and is he a better manager than a guy that essentially founded the cornerstone team in the atlantic league and the answer I come back to is no. And then I start thinking, okay, well, what about the other possibilities? Is he better than Calfa Pietro? And I go, not really, because Calfa Pietro is pretty good. He's probably the best working manager today. Which okay. then makes me think, well, is he better than Incogvillia? And I'm like, well, no, that reminds me of the beef there. And even still, I'm like... Oh, God. It sparks some social media beef by saying, 
Well, only one gets into the Hall of Fame. Oh my obviously. God! How great would that be? How funny would it be if they both tied? And, oh, no. and they went in on the same one. That would be funny. But like I start just going through the list basically. And I, I just come to the conclusion that maybe not this year, but next year I could see it. I just want to see like one more postseason or one more championship run. And then I could say, yeah, he deserves it. Because I know as stupid as it may seem, winning matters. Like rings matter in a, in a way, especially on a level where you're not trying to develop guys you're trying to win if that's your directive i mean you have two deep runs yeah he's turned this team around and i think in like a year or two's time is he's going to be a no-brainer he's already kind of on the verge here but uh he's 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 a tweener for me i'll say okay yeah uh what about like a joe gannon okay yeah he's a guy that i could see as well um the guy I'm the guy I'm curious about because I'm not sure if he's retired or not is Victor Capion. Cause he's definitely gonna be reverse ballot when he's retired. I just don't think he's done. Yeah. That. Yeah, no, Capion was absolutely a guy I was like I was gonna I was I, I probably should have mentioned earlier on when I was like guys who are like when they retire will be on. Capion will be a Hall of Famer when he gets uh when he retires. I just agree with you. I don't think he's done yet. And yeah. not to mention he gets gotta be done for two years anyway. Yeah. So. Also, Kevin McGovern, too. Kevin McGovern, definitely. McGovern will, McGovern will definitely be a Hall of Famer as well. Yeah. So, uh, there's definitely guys there. Uh, Chris Regas, maybe. Uh, Josh Allen, maybe. See, uh, there's a lot of guys here where it's like, they're going to meet the game's play threshold, but by how much? And then you got to compare it to other things. Michael Lang's another dude that I think could be interesting. I think he's still active, or I think he played a handful of games. I know he did in 20, so... Uh, I'm not sure he quite reaches there yet, uh, but that's another guy. Well, I'll look through, and if there's anyone else, then we'll toss on here, but pretty much just assume it's going to be whoever we mentioned on the show. I think that's okay. fair to say, right? Yep, sounds All right. good. All right, then. So with that said, we've kind of reached the end here. I think we've done a pretty decent job here at putting together a Hall of Fame list, a Hall of Fame ballot. We gave about 45 minutes or so of discussion on it, so I think it's pretty solid. And so now I'll put together a ballot and we'll throw it out into the internet and see what fans come up with. And what I'd love to do is get some either team officials or or get some other media officials, people like us, which is kind of weird to still think that we're media, but teams do consider us media. Trust me, I get press releases, so that confirms that to me. Um oh. The ball report. Trust us, we get press releases. We're on press lists, okay? So that clearly means we're press. Uh, plus, just um, big deals. <laughs> I have a shirt that says I'm kind of a big deal, and <laughs> you don't understand how much I want to wear that into a press box this year. But <laughs> <laughs> just like, would that make me a little bit of an ass? Yes. But would it be kind yes. of funny? Absolutely. <laughs> Which, if people yes. are laughing, then it makes it okay. But regardless of that i'd love to get all the people like kind of similar that are the cover teams that are involved with teams also involved because i feel like the fans do deserve a say they deserve a ballot but i feel like it's more of a collective ballot as opposed to an individual ballot yeah i would agree with that yeah just because there's so many different opinions and so many varieties of things and it's a here's the argument i have too and i may just be having this with myself it may not actually exist but like i feel like with fans it's more of an emotional, like, oh, yeah, this is the... I, I remember watching this guy, and you just kind of follow your team. You don't really follow uh, leagues as a whole or players yeah, as a whole no, type that. of thing. Yeah, that that's the kind of reason why I say it's collective, uh, generally speaking. But, you know, so that's yeah. where I'm kind of at. So I think what we do for our next step, I try to garner up those, uh, those other people to vote on it. And then I also try to... Uh, we throw the battle out there. I think that's a good decision. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, right. So with that said, we could kind of wrap up this week. Uh, hopefully it was everything you guys wanted and then some. Uh, if not, well, we did what we could. So, uh, so with, that's right. So with that said, we'll go to the plugs and then we'll uh, get out of here. So 
If you want to follow the show, you can do so on Twitter at IndieBallPod. You'll also probably get the uh, the Hall of Fame poll out on that platform, so you're definitely going to, going to want to follow there. Uh, you can follow on Instagram at IndieBallPod at Indie Ball Report and at ALPB underscore news as well. So those are the two places you want to follow to follow the show on Instagram. And then you can also go to the website. You could get that interview with Bill Lee, like we mentioned earlier. You could get that interview with Mike Shapiro, as we mentioned earlier, and every interview and every episode on the website, IndieBallReport.com. You can find the, really the only link to, uh, to what we referenced in this week's show uh, in under the show notes tab on the website as well. And I suppose now I'll have to make a Hall of Fame um, setting or tab on the website as well. And we'll throw up the poll on the website too. So be uh, sure to want to follow on all of those platforms. And with that said, and also you can find the show whenever, wherever you find podcasts, rate, review, subscribe. You know it at this point. It's something you hear on every podcast. Uh, but with that said, do we have anything else left to add before we close out this week? My one thing left to add, the MLB lockout is getting so bad and so painful that like, at this point, if they actually miss regular season games, I'm going to be so disappointed. But it's okay. You know why? Because college baseball is finally underway, and, uh, and minor league baseball will be beginning soon, as well as indie ball. So, uh, you know... I can I can stomach it because there will at least be baseball, but it's the the MLB continues to shoot itself in the foot and just being the colossal disappointments that they are. Well, that's to be expected from Major League Baseball at this point. And you know, selfishly, I kind of hope it goes on a little bit longer because if it oh, bleeds into indie ball season, I feel like we'll get a major uptick in listeners. So selfishly, I kind of want it to. Also because I now have no real interest in Major League Baseball if they're putting a DH in the National League where it has no goddamn business of being. But that's a whole other thing that I mentioned last week. We'll do a bonus thing for it. But uh, yeah, no, it's, it's going to continue. I still say they'll get it done and they'll wind up playing like a week or two into April. They'll be their actual regular season start. I think they miss a week or so of the season, but nothing more. I think the the revenue loss will be spooky for everybody. And then one side will wind up caving, but we'll see. Maybe it's an NHL 0405 type situation where they just no, no, scrap no, the no, whole no, year no, and no, 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 and no. then they break the players like that. But who knows how that will go? But I mentioned a couple weeks back that you know we were going to do Super Bowl last week in the end, but and then I was going to go through movies. Now I know Will does not care for movies; he's not really interested in them. So I assume he will tune out, and I don't blame him. I don't blame <laughs> a lot of people for tuning out because. I'm sure you hear enough bad movie takes from enough people, but I'm kind of qualified for this because I have a degree in this. So I'm going to talk about this a little bit and then, uh, yeah, then we'll log off and be done. Uh, obviously, it's an M bit, so I can't go through top five. I'm only going to go through top three. Uh, honorable mention type things, just three groupings here. You'll know what they are because I'll announce them. Uh, top five 2020, 2021 releases. These are just things that I've seen, and these are movies that came out in 2021, not that I necessarily saw in 21. Uh, my top three, you have Dune at three. I'm not a big sci-fi guy. I normally do not like sci-fi. I understand there's a lot you can do with it because you can disguise a lot, a lot of themes under the guise of fiction and you can get away with doing them that way. Uh, but for me, it just oftentimes very clunky, very hard to follow. Dune's a book that is very thick. It's a tome. It's like 2,000 pages long or something. So I thought already it's sci-fi. It's a long, boring book and they have a giant ensemble cast that I just don't see how they're going to be able to fit into everything. I was very much wrong. It was surprisingly easy to follow. It was very well shot. The scenery was good. The acting was very good. And I, I I can't believe I'm walking away saying this. I came in thinking it was going to be very overhyped, very, uh, very overrated. And now I'm very excited for 2023 when we get Dune Part 2. So very good with Dune. I do think it's a movie that does benefit, though, from seeing in theaters as opposed to on TV screen. Uh, coming in at number two for me, this is tough because my one and two are very much neck and neck. Uh, was The Last Duel. It's uh, a Ridley Scott movie, so you'll know him from The Gladiator and things like that. He's in the big historical epics, big things like that. Uh, this is kind of shown 
the story is structured rather in the same form as a Roshiman, which for film people they know what that is. For non-film people, it's a it's an older Japanese movie, but it's told uh, from the perspectives of each of the main characters in it and it's told in that same way for the last duel uh it's not an easy watch per se but it's an extremely well shot movie it's extremely i think it's well written it's extremely well acted though and it still is somehow it angers me very much that jody comer did not get any oscar nomination for her performance because it is honestly one of the best i have seen in, in quite some time and i'm the kind of person that's going to watch upwards of 50 movies a year and uh, I, I have not seen anything as good as her performance in The Last Duel for quite some time. I do highly recommend it. It is again not an easy watch by any means just by uh, the subject matter but it, in and of itself uh, it gets the time period of that kind of end medieval period of France very very well and uh, I, I could not recommend it enough. However the top movie on my list was Belfast. It's a quick 90 minute movie. The other two are upwards of two and a half hours long so it's kind of a slog to sit through if you're not you know one that can sit still for that long Belfast other way 90 minutes long Kenneth Branagh directed movie extremely well acted uh you have a child actor it's kind of like your main lead it's kind of a roundabout biopic for Kenneth Branagh and uh the child actor did an extremely great job I you feel connected to these characters in a very short amount of time and you could see the kind of conflict between which is kind of staying in a dangerous place that you know is your home versus leaving and going into something unknown you are going to be in a completely new environment that you're maybe not welcomed into but it's going to provide a better life for you and it's kind of that the torn bit there so for me belfast comes in at that number number one uh grouping there uh as far as things that i pretty much uh wait my mistake uh two honorable mentions in that latter category nightmare alley very good movie it's kind of weird you can kind of see where the story's going but it it's actually it's very enjoyable i will say that much and then the french dispatch again it's kind of told like three separate stories in one movie actors are very good in it recommend the last uh the french dispatch uh, as far as uh, that last category, because I'm going to cut the, the middle one out, uh, most disappointing ones for me from 2020, or 2021 rather, most disappointing, Many Saints in Newark, it just wasn't good, it was very bad, they build it as a Soprano pre prequel, I don't think David Chase ever wanted anything to do with them with that series again, and it kind of shows here, because it's just... It's like watching SNL making a movie. It's just not very good. The only part that's good is the Nork riot scene. And that's surprisingly enough, the only part that David Chase wanted anything to do with. So, you know, uh, extremely disappointing there. The last two on here, uh, last night. And so I thought it was going to be really good. I'm an Edgar Wright fan. He's really good at kind of incorporating music into his movies as well but it just felt really repetitive for a long time it's not bad because like the many saints norks a bad movie last night in soho it's not a bad movie it's just underwhelming and the same thing with my number three which was licorice pizza it does have award nominations it's not a bad movie it doesn't leave you feeling the same way that last night in soho does but it does kind of have that same kind of aura to it where it's like i expected a lot more out of this than what i got it's not a bad movie it's still well acted it's still worth seeing but it just kind of it was a little bit disappointing because it wasn't what i thought it would be uh the other two on here that kind of fall off green knight i want to like it a lot more it's that kind of pretentious studio type of movie which i'm kind of really into and it just it didn't land for me. Maybe if I watched a couple more times, I'll start to get it more. But uh, you can't judge it off of anything more than the first viewing. Uh, so that's that. And then House of Gucci was, again, something I thought would be a lot better than it was. It was the other Ridley Scott film. But honestly, the accents took me out of it a bit. It really did. It's, And I'm not sure what Jared Leto was really doing. So uh, that's my movie review. It's real quick and not the most in-depth thing, but... I want to talk about it, and I know uh, a lot of people don't particularly care on a sports podcast about movies, but I wanted to say it anyway, and it's my show, so I can. Well, I have no idea about any movies or anything you just said, but you know what? That sounds good. <laughs> now, see, this is the kind of expert commentary we have you here for. I want you to know that. Exactly. Everything exactly. you said about independently baseball, that was great, but this this is what we this is what it's you paid for. Stuff. Yeah, this this is exactly the reason why uh, why we have it here. And with that said, I guess uh, we'll end off this episode like we end off every episode. Don't forget to play ball. <laughs> <laughs>